Hello, and welcome to the Vineyard Bowling Green Podcast. We hope you enjoyed this week's message and look forward to seeing you this Sunday. I hope there is one thing we can all experience in our life. All right. I hope there's one thing that we can all experience in our life, and that is the ability to truly appreciate just how generous God is to us. I hope that we are all able to experience that in our lives, to truly appreciate just how generous God is to us. God has been and will be crazy generous to us. Do you guys believe that? Yes, amen to that, right? And so it's so easy to sometimes lose sight of just how generous our God is. And stuff happens. There are moments when things are tough and unfair. And we just deal with junk in life. But in those moments, God is good to us as well. How many know and believe that God has been ridiculously generous towards us? How many believe that? I want some crowd participation this morning. All right. And it's his intention that we follow his example and become radically generous people. All right? Radically generous people, the kind of people rich in mercy, rich in forgiveness, and rich in good deeds. That's who we are called to be. And I'm convinced that we should be forced, that if we are forced and should be forced to choose between wisdom and generosity, we should choose generosity. And there's a reason why I say it that way. There's a reason why I say it that way. The very nature of Jesus is founded on generosity. Scriptures are saturated with the backdrop of generosity. And a healthy community does not exist without it. And let me just say, as far as community goes, the basics of community, your community is who you invest in. Your community is who you invest in. Again, coming back around to to how we spend our time and where we spend our time and what we do with our time. Who you invest your time in, your emotion in, your energy in, your attention to, that's your community. For some, they mostly know their online social community right now, right? For some, they mostly know just their close family. For some, it's just one or two people. For some, it's the church, family, etc. You know, where you invest your time, that's your community. When you spend your time, where you spend your time, that is your community. And you can be invested in a community that is not healthy. A community that lacks radical generosity is not healthy. And I pray that we all receive the gift of radical generosity here on earth as it is in heaven, because it's available. It's here. It's available. A community built on radical generosity is a healthy community of givers, people who invest in your life, people that, 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 are, that share life with you and, and help you. And this morning, I just want to continue to build on the generosity that is in this church, okay? I want to build on the awesome generosity that is in this church. This is not a Hey, Jonathan's mad and has got something to say. No, we're building on something that we already do really well here at this church. This church has been so generous to each other in kindness, in service, in finances. And I'm very thankful for the display of generosity in this church. And that's why I want to talk about it this morning so we can continue 
doing what we are called to do as the body of Christ and as a community of believers. We are just continuing to lay the foundation of radical generosity in our church. And if you haven't noticed, in order to be an effective church, in order to be an effective body, you have to be kind of um, countercultural. You guys with me on that? We got to be kind of countercultural. Um, and our world has really developed this kind of self-centered lifestyle that is the exact opposite of radical generosity. And we don't want to be part of that in this church. We do not want to be a part of that in this church. And this morning, I want to give some simple solutions to help feed us and grow this healthy culture that already exists in this church. And I think the first thing to understand is that generosity is an act. Okay, it's an action. It involves action. It is not something that can exist only in just this simple state of mind, right? That's the beauty of generosity. It becomes real when we are triggered by the love of God and then something is actually done. There's an action involved. Generosity does not just remain a good idea. That's why we choose generosity. If we have to choose generosity over wisdom, we choose generosity. There are plenty of people that have the right mind on what needs to be done and what can be done and what should be done. Perhaps they even know how to do it. They have a mind for charity, have a mind for helping people, solving problems. But what happens in most of those conversations, most of the time, is just a wasted solution that just remains a good idea. Oftentimes it stops at a good idea. And in the meantime, we miss people around us who we could be generous to. Generosity is more than a desire. It's more than an idea. It's an investment. It will cost you something, but what you will give will increase in value, and that's why it's an investment. What you're going to give to someone will increase in value. That's why it's an investment. And the Lord is asking of his church to be generous givers as the church, but also in the secret place that's just between you and God. Giving in ways that only you and, you and the Lord know about. It's not for show. It's not for reward or to get a great return on your investment, right? It's about supporting each other and not really caring about what you get in return, but giving out of love and giving out of obedience. Amen? But over time, I've noticed there are still some things that hold us back a little bit. There are moments and lies and myths that can keep us from being the type of givers that God is asking of us. Okay, and this morning I want to share some of those myths with you and hopefully give you some hope if you find yourself one day believing them because every single one of these myths I've used against me as well. And I've fallen for them a time or two. Okay, so this is this is coming from experience, okay? So myth number one, radical generosity is this I have nothing to give, I'm not rich. I have nothing to give, I'm not rich. Rich, the word rich immediately triggers money, right? Immediately we trigger like, oh, money. You know, Richie Rich. Anybody watch that growing up, the movie? No? Okay. Whatever. I'm probably too old. All right. But we think of money. We think of an abundance of money. And in most circles, especially in a church setting, when we talk about generosity, is mentioned in the context of money. And yes, money is a powerful tool that can help. And God uses money, and we have to be wise about money, and we have to be generous about money. And we'll get into that more next week. But giving is not limited to money, and rich is not limited to money. It's just not. 
Like I said at the beginning, we want to be rich in mercy, forgiveness, and good deeds. We want to be rich in forgiveness and mercy and good deeds. And when we show radical generosity and forgiveness that can have more of an impact on someone's soul than money could, right? When we're radically, radically generous in forgiveness and mercy, that can heal and help someone's soul way more than a, than a check ever could, okay? So I highly encourage you, take some time to reflect this week and if there is someone you need to show radical generosity to by forgiving them or having mercy on them, I absolutely, I, I plead with you to go for it. I plead for you to go through that process. But please, don't be selfish. Don't have hate in your heart. Don't hold grudges towards people. Be rich in mercy and forgiveness. Give the gift of forgiveness and mercy. God gives that gift to us so often. It's in our DNA to do the same. Give the gift of mercy and forgiveness to others. We are all rich in mercy. We are all rich in forgiveness because we are God's children with a purpose to do the work of Jesus and God has equipped you with the ability to give because you are in fact rich and contain a wealthy bank load of faith, hope, and love, and mercy, and forgiveness. How many believe that? How many believe that you carry that inside of you? Thank you, Will. Wake up. How many believe that? There we go. All right. You can provide a gift that includes something so awesome, but you have to believe it, but you only have to believe it just enough to just try it. You have to believe it, that you are rich in mercy and forgiveness, but you just have to believe it enough. Almost you just got to be dumb enough to try it, right? You got to have just a little bit of faith to try it. Jesus talks about faith like a mustard seed, right? Just a little bit of your generosity will go a long way and you will plant some deep seeds that will have great and generous fruit. So don't feel like you are, are poor. Don't feel like you're inadequate to, to, to give much. You know, no matter what status you're at right now, whether that's financially, mentally, emotionally, spiritually, whatever status you are at right now, because of who your Father is in heaven, you are incredibly rich. You are incredibly rich, and you have something to give. So don't let anyone tell you otherwise that you cannot contribute. Don't tell yourself you cannot contribute with what you have, because you absolutely can. Go ahead and put up Mark chapter 12. That's what I said, right? Whatever, Mark. Go to Mark. That's not your fault, Alyssa. Matthew and Mark are very similar. Sorry. I did this to her last week, too. Mark chapter 12, verse 41 through 42. Jesus sat down near the collection box in the temple and watched. Can y'all see? Jesus sat down next to the collection box in the temple and watched as the crowds dropped in their money. Many rich people put in large amounts. Then a poor widow came and dropped in two small coins. Jesus called his disciples to him and said, I tell you the truth, this poor widow has given more than all the others who are making contributions. For they gave in a tiny part of their surplus, but she, poor as she is, has given everything she had to live on. So, a little background for this scripture. Jesus is sitting here in the temple. He sees two things. First, he sees a lot of wealthy people give a lot of money. Then he sees a poor widow come and give two coins that together 
would make a penny. Not a lot, right? And these are coins that, that, that we get annoyed with, right? The type of coins that we get annoyed with, the type that we walk past on the sidewalk in the parking lot, the types of coins that we don't even know are missing until we clean our couch, right? Really just nothing. Some pennies, cheap coins. And Jesus tells his disciples that the widow put in more than everyone else. Those two little coins were worth more than the hundreds of coins that others put in. So how is that? What did Jesus want his disciples to take away from this? What, is, what does Jesus want us to take away from this story? It seems like at first, Jesus is saying for us not to be like the scribes, okay? And for us not to be part of this bad religious culture. And he's saying don't be like them. Remember, Jesus is saying be like the widow. And first, we have to remember the context here a little bit. Since entering Jerusalem, he had been breaking down the temple system, right? Since entering Jerusalem, Jesus had been breaking down the temple system and was being very confrontational with the temple leaders and how corrupt that they were, okay? In the chapter before, he famously turns over the, over the tables, goes crazy, drives the people out, and now here we are. Jesus already did this. He already flipped the tables, already told people they're wrong, already people, told people they're corrupt, and Jesus has already warned the scribes and is furious at their arrogance. He's furious that they still don't get it. One of the biggest lies, one of the biggest lies is what we have. It's not enough. It's one of the biggest lies. What we have is not enough. And it feels especially small when we look around and compare ourselves to those who we think are richer. That's why I hope, at the beginning what I said, I hope we all appreciate and experience just how generous God is to us and be thankful for what we have. And be absolutely thankful. Because what we have can feel especially small when we look around and compare ourselves to those who we think are richer. But what you have to offer is good, and what you have to offer is beautiful, and you are rich, and you are powerful. So the biggest myth that I want us to bust this morning is that you have something to give, and that you are rich, and do not compare yourself to others. Amen? Amen? Man. All right. Myth number two. People aren't generous to me, so why be generous to them? All right? People aren't generous to me, so why be generous to them? Again, let's go back to the basics of being radically generous. We want to be radically generous in what? Mercy, forgiveness, and good deeds, right? We are all being called upon to see the example and be the example of what mercy looks like to this world. And I can assure you that there will be a time or two in your life when you are in a situation just hoping and praying that someone shows you mercy. That someone shows you forgiveness. But with that said, we've become a society so quick to be mad and just cut people out of our lives. We get so mad, we just cut people out of our life. Whether it's, it's, it's someone on the other political side that we disagree with, the style of church, you know, theology, music, culture, whatever it is. All the differences have become inflated. All the differences have become inflated and we act like complete toddlers sometimes. 
We act like complete toddlers sometimes. And when we rationalize our hate and we rationalize the lack of mercy we have with others, well, they aren't showing mercy to me. Why should I show mercy to them? That kind of attitude. And I've been reading in Job a lot lately, and it talks about injustice, right? In Job, it talks a lot about injustice. Here we have Job, a godly man who is suffering on this completely different level, right? Something that we don't experience. And he cries out in Job 19, he says this, Why do the wicked live on, grown old, grow old, and increase in power? He says this, Why do the wicked live on, grow old, and increase in power? They spend their years in prosperity and go down to the grave in peace. And we've developed this complex in the church that if we aren't successful, then you aren't blessed or you aren't anointed. The problem is, is here is how we view success, how we view calling and stuff like that, how we view prosperity. But as believers, we should not be surprised that sometimes there are those who completely reject God, yet they appear to live lives of prosperity and peace. And the Bible never says that the wicked will receive justice in this life. Sometimes that happens, but at other times, it seems like people we don't want to be successful and to be prosperous, they get away with it, right? They get away with it. So we shouldn't be surprised if we see the wicked spending their years in prosperity. That's also a good reminder that we shouldn't idolize the prosperous, right? We shouldn't idolize I'm choosing the word idolize there very carefully. We shouldn't idolize prosperous people. But don't be surprised if you see the innocent suffering and the humble person suffering and a person who is living after the heart of God and they are suffering. Don't be surprised. God seems to allow both in this life. And this is not to say that we should never be complacent about injustices. That's, I want to be very clear on that. We should not be complacent about injustices or the suffering of the innocent, but instead we should do in all our power to combat both. I just believe and trust that this life is not the end and God has all of eternity to put things in order. God has all of eternity to put things in order. Job 19, 25 through 26 says this, but as for me, I know that my Redeemer lives, and he will stand upon the earth at last. And after my body has decayed, yet in my body I will see God. So Job's insight foreshadows the New Testament here. A hope of resurrection and eternal life. And a godly person should have this eternal perspective, which gives a totally different dimension on our perspective here on earth. Furthermore, this perspective should encourage our attitude that when situations do not work out as hoped for or as they should due to the injustices of individuals or organizations or systems, you can still trust in the fact that one day total justice will prevail. Total justice will prevail. And again, this is not to say that we should ever be complacent about our time that we spend here on earth, right? But it just doesn't always feel right. Am I the only one? It just doesn't always feel right. Things don't always feel in order here on earth. It just feels unjust, probably more than it feels perfect and right in the way things should be. So have hope, though. Have hope. God will set the world in order. God will set the world in order. And with that said, this should give us hope that even in our differences, even in our frustrations over those differences, we are called to be rich in what? 
mercy, forgiveness, and good deeds to those we love and to our enemies. That's what we're called to do. Prove me wrong otherwise after this service. That's what we're called to do. Myth number three. One of the reasons why you may not be radically generous in the moment is because you don't like to mingle in other people's business. I like to keep to myself. I don't want to get involved in other people's business. It's too messy or maybe it's too personal or I don't want to seem like I'm overstepping anything. And there's, there, there's, there's appropriate measures to be taken. But perhaps you're just not involved enough to know where people are in need and are hurting. Perhaps you just kind of stick to yourself for whatever reason Maybe you're insecure, maybe you're an introvert, uh, you just keep it safe by, by just keeping, you know, one or two relationships that you like and you're used to and you're comfortable and you don't really know how to let go and grow in a community and, and trust people and have friendships. You know, it's really easy to give in the obvious times. It's really easy to be generous in the obvious times when, when someone has a death in their family or, or someone's getting married or someone has graduated from high school or something or is going on a mission trip. But in a life of radical generosity, we have to be involved and aware and use our senses both physically and spiritually to allow ourselves to see where there are needs in each other's lives. This is why we have to be led by the Spirit and pay attention to what God is doing and be available and involved and not live at this, you know, this, this, this great distance between each other. We need to be able to almost anticipate each other's needs because we're so connected that we almost can anticipate each other's needs in each other's lives. We can all barely remember the time that, that someone gave you a card at graduation, right? And someone gave you some money or whatever for a mission trip. But we all remember the time that when you had a need and perhaps not many people knew about it. Maybe just a few people knew about it, but somehow and in some way God intervened and showed radical generosity in the purest form. You'll never forget that. So those are the basics. Those are the basic myths that hold us back from being generous. I think those are the basics. I have nothing to give. I'm not rich. People aren't generous to me, so why be generous to them? And I don't like to, to mingle in other people's business, so... I like to keep to myself. I think those are kind of the three simplest myths that cause us to kind of hold back from being generous and, and, and cause us to be more generous. And we're, we're trying to value stories more here at this church. And with stories comes people. And this morning, there, there's someone here who has proven all of these myths wrong. Every single one of these myths wrong pretty much ever since I've known him. And I've known him his whole life, right? I can't say that about anyone else here except my kids, that I've known Michael my whole life. I remember the day he came home. I cried. I was so happy. No, there's, there's like 16 inches of snow. And everyone in this room has been impacted by Michael's investment in you. Would you guys agree? Everyone in this room, even outside of this church, right? I threw a curveball this morning at Michael. I said, hey, we're going to set it up like this. And of course, it's Michael, right? He's not a pushover. He gives me some chirp, chirp. And I'm like, we're doing it anyways. 
And so he, he bit the bullet. He got it done. He worked his butt off. And at the end, we all still had water bottles at our little worship stations. Okay, Michael works incredibly hard in this church because he believes in this church and he wants the best for you. But think outside of this church. From college students to CSF to Mimosa Apartments to you just needing something done, Michael has invested in every single person in this church. Michael's blown all of these myths out because he believes in you and he doesn't really care about what he gets in return. He doesn't care because he wants you to succeed more than what he cares about in your return. I've seen Michael work hours and hours and hours for people and expect nothing in return and take nothing in return simply because he believes in them. And he wants to invest in that person. I've seen Michael take risk on people to invest in people. Would you guys disagree with that? No, not at all. Not at all. Um, so I want Michael to actually come up here for a second. We're just going to lay our hands on him.